Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, John Still on the history, mission, and influence of contemporary Christian music magazine. We always tried to tell the truth as best we could determine it. We were not an advocacy publication. We weren't here just to promote Christian music. What we were advocating about was getting the gospel out there better and having the gospel be relevant to modern culture. John Still, next. In 1978, contemporary Christian music was in its very early years, and a man named John Still believed it needed its own magazine. He was at the helm of the publication for more than 20 years, overseeing its growth, which paralleled that of the contemporary Christian music industry. John, tell us the story of how you started Contemporary Christian Music magazine. Its first issue was published in July of 1978. Hmm. So that was a a minute ago. Uh, At that time, the Jesus movement had subsided a little bit, quite a a bit, actually. Um, Jesus music was not really the term in vogue for the new contemporary Christian music that was coming out of the different labels. And uh, me and some friends, uh, partners, were publishing a magazine in Orange County, California, called Contemporary Christian Acts, A-C-T-S, like a modern-day Acts of the Apostles, and it had sections on sports and family and music. And it was a local publication for the Orange County, California Christian community. And I became the editor of the music section because I had some journalism experience and I had some interview experience and could, you know, write those stories. Um it was a tabloid newspaper. And at some point, uh, we did a little uh, trip around the country, talked to some music folks about whether they felt there was a need to have a publication devoted just to music. And we thought of it as a trade publication, meaning it was a business-to-business idea that radio stations and retail stores and artists and whatnot would be the subscribers And we got a mixed reaction, but decided to go ahead anyway. And I became the editor because, for the same reason I was the editor of the music section of Contemporary Christian Acts, I was there. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know anything about publishing at all. But, you know, we had to sell advertising, and we had to do circulation marketing, and we had to do graphics and all the stuff. It started that way. The music section of Contemporary Christian Acts became its own publication called Contemporary Christian Music. It had the exact same design, the exact same fonts, the exact same organizational style. Instead of sections on sports and family and music, we had sections on retailing and radio and stuff like that. And uh, and that's how it began. The first cover featured uh, Debbie Boone and the Boone Girls. Mm. She was on the heels of her giant hit, You Light Up My Life. Yeah. No one had interviewed her yet, so we got that interview. And, uh, I mean, it was it took everything we had to put out that first issue. And I just said, I, I can't imagine us doing another one of these. <gasps> but the next month, somehow we did. And for <laughs> it's been coming out, you know, we did her for 40 years. So that started in July 
1978. Do you remember anything else? Uh, anything else you featured in there? I don't. I could tell you what a lot of the covers were. But we had a lot of the content of the magazine, um, the community we were trying to serve. Uh, it, it became consumer facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had uh, listings of concerts. Who was going to be in concert where around the country? Because unlike contemporary Christian acts, contemporary Christian music was a national publication. And it started off out of the gate at like 10,000 circulation. Uh, we did reviews of new albums. We did sales and airplay charts, all the stuff you'd expect out of a, a mm-hmm. trade magazine. Our goal was to make the quote-unquote industry better because if the industry was better it would be more effective at reaching people that was really what was behind the thought and honestly we thought we could make some money with it sure we might have been right about the first part we weren't about the second (laughs) Uh, so there was a little bit of a mission or an evangelistic impulse to get the message of the gospel of christ which birthed contemporary christian music right out of the jesus movement Unlike today, uh, Christian music radio was not ubiquitous. There were very few radio stations, and the and the ones that were there were honestly not that good. And we wanted to provide tools to help them become better. And I know that sounds really, really bodacious and braggadocious and whatever else you want to <laughs> say. Uh, we thought very highly of ourselves, but we were just providing information. We had expert people writing for us who, if you read their stuff, you would be smarter at the end of the day Mm -hmm. about all of this. Plus, there wasn't really a way nationally for folks to find out what was going on, to learn about the industry, to learn about each other, to learn about the artists. So interviews with artists became very key. And so everybody had the same book and page, you know. And um, it was pre-internet, obviously, so we didn't have the tools that exist today. Uh, what we have today basically makes a magazine like we were doing unnecessary, but it was very necessary back then. Do you recall maybe which issue, which article might have been, uh, you know, garnered the most attention, the most feedback? <laughs> oh, there's a couple. You know, there's an interesting phenomenon. The stuff. You know, we're, we're critics. Critics have a bit of a highbrow mm-hmm. look at things, um, a little bit elitist, perhaps. And so some of the things that critics or elites think are really good don't resonate with the public at all. And stuff we think is ho-hum sometimes goes huge, great. They love it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we've had... Artist interviews that we thought, oh, well, but we get a great response. And then we have stuff, man, we're like, this is art. People are going to love it. And you, you get crickets. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of the way it is. Yeah. Uh, nobody likes it but the people, as they say. But, you know, one issue stands out. We changed formats over the years. It started out in a large format, tabloid style, on newsprint. It was in full color from mm. day one. Mm. And at some point, there was an issue in, I think it was November of 79, Andre Crouch was on the cover, and we switched the outside cover to uh, glossy paper. 
Uh, then in 1981, I think, we officially changed the name to CCM Magazine, uh, if my memory serves correctly. And we had Steve Camp on the cover. In the course of his interview, in trying to make a very emphatic point, Steve used a two-syllable synonym for fertilizer. And after a lot of discussion, we decided to print the whole thing. Oh. We were trying to get a little more edgy and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, suffice it to say, the readers had no idea what point Steve was trying to make. All they knew is that he said that word. And they fired off letters to us like you would not believe. You know, (laughs) it seems like a tempest in a teapot. At the end of the day, it's... I wish we hadn't done that because it did take away from some very valid points he was making mm-hmm. because they couldn't see or hear anything that was being said because there was this giant flashing sign going on. <laughs> oh, boy. You know? And so yeah. that was uh, that was unfortunate. You know, Amy Grant has drawn her share of controversy mm-hmm. uh, for various reasons, as have other artists. Uh, one of the biggest challenges we have had all along is dealing with the human failings yeah. of artists and how to cover that or whether to cover that. So that's a that's a case-by-case basis. But um, we always tried to tell the truth as best we could determine it. We were not an advocacy publication. We weren't here just to promote... Christian music, what we were advocating about was getting the gospel out there better and having the gospel be relevant to modern culture. That really is hmm. what it was about from day one. And it's still online. Still, that's what it's about to, to some extent. Well, my guest today on His People is Mr. John Still, and he's talking about the early days of contemporary Christian music magazine or CCM magazine, which he founded back in 1978. And John, I didn't ask you this, but what was your background? Prior to that, you'd mentioned you were involved in this other publication, but I mean, uh, you said a journalism background. I mean, obviously, you I were- did journalism in school and then uh, radio. Honestly, we did. Uh, uh, we had a little production company. We did a lot of uh, commercials for people. We did in-store music tapes for Sparrow Records, and I did all their commercials when they first started. Um, we helped produce. Uh, big Christian music nights at the theme parks in Southern California, Magic Mountain and Disneyland yeah. and Knott's Berry Farm. Right. Uh, so that's basically what I was doing out of college until the magazine came along. I was 26 when the magazine started, so I mean, I didn't, I didn't know much. Well, I wanted to ask you about something which I, I recall being a little bit of a controversy as well with the magazine. Got to ask you about it. But first, in 1983, uh, CCM Update spun off of Contemporary Christian Music Magazine. And yes. What was the CCM Update? That was sort of a, a, a sister publication. It was. It was. There were a couple things happening there. First of all, CCM Magazine, as I mentioned earlier, had become more consumer-facing as opposed to a business-to-business. It wasn't for the industry. At the point we had 20,000 readers, there, there wasn't anywhere near 20,000 people in the industry. So, we thought, okay, we need, we need to make that publication really for the, the fans, the consumers. Yeah. Therefore, we needed a different vehicle for the industry. We also needed one that came out more frequently and closer to the news. By that, I mean... 
uh, a magazine is done and in the in the shop roughly a month before anybody ever sees it. Well, that's just too much gap for the industry who needs charts and news that is more up to date. So the CCM update was created. uh, It was called the music line uh, or music line first, I believe it was like a whole separate magazine just for the industry. And then we changed it to the music line update. And it was like eight or 10 or 12 pages uh, not like follow full page ads, just, you know, it cost a little more. I think it was, I want to say it was like a hundred bucks a year or something for the industry, but we could write a story on Thursday and that would mail out on Friday first class. <laughs> so everybody got it on Monday. So the news and information was way more current. And then from a branding perspective, we decided to change the name again to the CCM update just to tie it into CCM magazine, even though they weren't related. Uh, Well, they were related because it came out of the same shop, but it came out every week. So we had a deal with a printer here where we could send him these pages and he would print them same day and it would mail out first class the next day, mailed out every Friday afternoon. So people knew that it was very up-to-date. The charts were very up-to-date. Just from a business standpoint for industry folks, much more useful tool. Mm. Oh. Then at that point, a monthly magazine just could not be current. And let me ask you about the charts, John. How did you go about, uh, for people that may not be familiar with it, or they may, of course, there's been secular charts for many, many years where they rank uh, the, the number one song, number 10, whatever, uh, based on popularity. But how, how, in terms of the Christian, uh, contemporary Christian music, do you know how those charts were compiled or how the, the rankings were determined? As a matter of fact, I do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we had a network of radio stations and retail stores, and they reported into us every week what they were playing. So you guys may, for example, have your top 20, mm-hmm. and you would send us your top 20, And then we would assign your uh, number 20 song, let's say, um, uh, five points. And your number 19 song would get four and a half points. I I don't know what the scale was exactly, but if you were number one, it wasn't equal. All 20 positions did not get equal points. Mm -hmm. And we we added them all together, uh, sometimes literally a, a giant manual spreadsheet of ticking on points for the songs and then however it came out, whoever got the most points would be the number one song on the chart. Same with record sales, except that I believe we were using real numbers from retail stores Okay, uh, at that time. They would send us what they sold. We added it up. Uh, we had a pretty good sample of the, the retail stores out there because all the big chains reported to us. We really were the definitive charts. And then something called SoundScan. Mm. came along. SoundScan was a much more sophisticated means of collecting the information. This is the world, as the world became more electronic, Billboard magazine began using SoundScan for its sales charts. And um, the Christian music industry labels got together. There was a trade association for them at that point. And they made a deal with SoundScan to start doing it for the Christian charts which is a separate and parallel system from the mainstream music business. The network of Christian stores that sold Christian music was just almost 
walled off from the mainstream retail system. So it was the same technology, but different players. Mm-hmm. So when uh, SoundScan came to the Christian world, the CCM charts changed over to SoundScan charts. It was the definitive, most credible chart. So we started off doing it by hand with reports from retailers and radio stations and, and by format. We had, you know, different radio formats, uh, different music styles. We yep. got criticized once by some people who thought we were ranking ministries in order of importance. Completely not what it was, but that was a whole another controversy. Yeah, I did want to ask you about that because I, I seem to recall, and we were subscribing to the to the magazine at that time. And as I recall, there was an open letter from a bunch yes. of the artists. I seem to seem to recall Scott Wesley Brown might have been in the thick of that, and some of the some others, and and they felt like the uh, artists that it was causing them to be competitors, you know, because you had the songs ranked rather than fellow ministers and i think they were kind of either pleading with you or what have you to not to not do the charts can you talk about that and what came of that obviously the charts continued well they did because the charts are not in they're not a spiritual thing they are mathematical equations the results of what is it's about the truth here is what's happening if you're a retail store for example um and you need guidance on what to buy for your store, the inventory to carry, you need you need to know what people are interested in. Yeah. For whatever reason. We're not judging the reason for people's interest. And so if you did not have a guide like that, you might waste a lot of money investing in product that no one's going to buy. I hate to use the word term product about it, but uh, yeah. while the artists – I love these artists, by the way – they fancied themselves as above criticism, which hmm. was another part of it, and above being ranked this way. They didn't mind at all collecting the royalty checks. So, you know, there's a, there's a conflict there because you've got a theological layer. You've got ministry versus entertainment, all these binaries and trinaries that are competing for, you know, what's most important. So there were a couple artists who were feeling pretty intense about this because I believe that one of them was at an event and somebody said, well, I almost didn't buy your album because of the review in CCM magazine. And the artist was like, well, that person might've been deprived of hearing the gospel because of that review. That's like the worst thing in the world. First of all, I think it's pretty arrogant of an artist to think that that might be the case. That's the only way God's going to get to that person. There were a couple people after the letter came out and was sent to us, a couple of well-known artists, so I, I won't embarrass by naming, but they called me up directly and said, could you please take my name off the letter? To which I used a famous Larry Norman line was, be careful what you sign. Their names remained on the letter. And we wrote a rather lengthy response explaining our position about reviews the thought is, if you're asking people to pay $10 or whatever the price is, $15 for a CD or an album, then somebody has the right to say how it is. Is it a good album? Is it not a good album? And again, it's a, uh, it's a very tricky prospect because I talked to one of a, the mainstream reviewers from our local newspaper here in Nashville. Uh, the Tennessean, and he was like, I don't know how to review praise and worship albums. What's, is it about how good the music is? Is it about whether it really leads you in worship, how well it does that? I said, no, you can't review that. He says, we don't know what to say about these. Mm -hmm. 
because they're they lead with lyrics not music and christian music has kind of done that over the years it's all about the lyrics uh and the music's just a carrier for the message yeah well there are some people who think the music is more important than that i used to have arguments with people like keith green he said no music's just a tool i'm like no there's an aesthetic associated with music and art that enhances the content of it it's not just a carrier for content for messages that's propaganda uh, anyway so that was that was just a huge 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 uh, discussion but i think a point we made in the letter if you don't want to participate in this system then don't do what keith green did give your stuff away for free you know if someone wants it give it away for free and of course that's not how the thing's built uh the christian music business is parallel to the mainstream music business all the same business stuff goes on there yeah people get all up in a twit over stuff that's seems important i got a little note from barry mcguire after that came out and he says my 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 what a tempest in a teapot you were involved in publishing editing ccm magazine for 20 years 21 years something like that Yes, something like that. 23, I think. Was there a, a point in that period where you believe CCM or contemporary Christian music sort of reached its apex of, of popularity, or was it still growing when you moved away from it? At the very time that I left, and it had nothing to do with me leaving, the music industry hit a huge dip in mm. sales around 2000. 1999 was one of the best years ever for music sales. Then... You had things like Napster and LimeWire uh, come out where people were downloading music for free, illegally. Yeah. Um, and sad to say, uh, the Christian audience was not an exception at all to that. And so sales really, really dipped. Sales, which is just one metric, uh, but more and more artists were getting signed. More and more stuff was happening. There were more and more concerts building uh, the last half of the 70s and then into the 80s. And then CDs came out in 1983 and people began replacing their vinyl with CDs. That was true in mainstream music and also in Christian music. So that gave a, a nice lift to sales. And these and the 90s were go-go times. I mean, it was really, it was, it was cooking with gas, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then this giant dip, I mean, there were interruptions. There was a recession in 83 and different things happened. But uh, this giant dip due to uh, illegal downloading. And it has been climbing back ever since. To where now, you know, no one foresaw streaming back then. Yeah. Uh, now, most of the industry's revenue is from streaming, not from sales. It's a completely different business model. And uh, it also has become a hard time for uh, print publications because there's just not much need for them. Uh, my neighbor across the street uh, was the national or international service manager for the company that built the presses that we printed the publication on. And he said, just, it's just scrap iron now, those presses all over the world. People can't even get rid of them. There's just hardly any real print business going on. It's kind of sad to see, but yeah. it's, it's just sort of the way it is. Changing times. Obviously, contemporary Christian music sort of paralleled, sort of was birthed out of the Jesus movement. Everybody was young. They were in their younger years. And now uh, the people that were young then, of course, are in their older years today. Is there a 
reasonably good contingent of younger generation people like Gen Z, millennials that are listening to contemporary Christian music, or is it still mostly in the older demographic, in the older groups? Uh, in other words, are the younger people more going with whatever is the popular style? We call it secular, secular music. My personal opinion is there's two types of music, good and bad. <laughs> and we should try to listen to good music, no yes. matter what its source. Uh, because you know what? Out of the mainstream world, there are some fantastic stuff that is worthy of a Christian paying attention to. And in the Christian world, there's some stuff that is not worthy of anyone listening to. Part of what we were trying to do is point people to the good. Mm -hmm. But also, in those early days, there was a binary of you either listen, is it secular or is it Christian? Everybody wanted to put things in a box. And if it was secular, they didn't listen to it because secular equaled evil. I think that wall kind of broke down with Gen X. And I think they started listening to, I mean, at one point there was a chart out there that you could get into Christian bookstore. If you like REM, you'll like so-and-so. Yeah. They're trying to protect people from something. Uh, but I think Gen X started to feel the need not to be protected from that anymore. And I think that's continued. I don't think people put the music in those kind of boxes. I think people really do just go after that, which they like. And that, in some ways, hasn't been so good for the Christian music industry. I mean, it, it's, from what I understand, really a shadow of its former self. And yet, to be encouraging, the church is is alive and well, and music is still being sung in church. I recall an article from Time Magazine a few years ago about Chris Tomlin, who said, by virtue of the number of people singing his songs in churches on Sunday mornings, he is, without a doubt, the most sung artist in the world in any genre. And people forget about the church and yeah. what great music lives in the church. Yeah. Of course, contemporary Christian music evolved into now being praise and worship music. Christian radio has become praise and worship radio. It's just it's just a, a completely transitioned. And so that's different. It's interesting. I don't wouldn't want to be the guy reviewing music today, honestly. That's a very, very important part of this. And um, the business side is definitely not as important. Well, well, my guest today on His People is Mr. John Still, and he is founder of CCM Magazine, or Contemporary Christian Music Magazine. And we're having a fascinating talk about, uh, about that magazine and about uh, Christian music. How influential was it in the contemporary Christian music field? D did it help to propel uh, contemporary Christian music forward? We were very, very busy doing the best we knew how to make a really good magazine that met the needs of its readers. Um, I have been told over the years since then that it has been enormously influential in people's lives, which is very gratifying to me, not because we wanted influence, but my number one thing is I wanted to make people think, agree with me, disagree with me but we would write things i would i were a little editor's piece at the front of most issues just to not to be controversial but just hey think about this if you didn't change your position at all but went around the mountain and thought about it good for you or maybe you came around to some other position that it was better for you and, and closer to the truth i think we did both for lots of people and i think it uh remains to be seen the impact that it had. It 
definitely, I believe, propelled the industry forward. History will tell us whether that was a good thing or not. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, John Still, founder of CCM Magazine, which he led until its sale in 1999. Today, it's online only at ccmmagazine.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People. 